Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So notice what Jesus keys in here is faith. Even when he explains it later here in Mark and one of the other gospels, when the disciples say, well, why couldn't we cast it out? And he talks about prayer and fasting. So people say, oh, you have to pray and fast about it. No. Jesus kept going on and said, it's because of faith. The whole issue here is faith. And as you heard when we were starting today and praying, and Jesus said in Luke that when he comes back, he is looking for faith. Faith is a big deal with God. The scripture tells us four different times, the just shall live by faith. So faith is more than a moment, it's more than a movement, it is a lifestyle. And Hebrews 11 said it is the lifestyle that pleases God. So then they brought him to Jesus, and when the possessed person saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Now notice what Jesus didn't do. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He did not get consumed with the show of darkness. He did not get distracted from his mission because darkness put on a show. He did not back down because Satan threw a fit. Too many Christians back up because Satan shows his tail. If Satan's going to act up like a disobedient three-year-old at Kmart or Target or Walmart, your store of preference, you're not supposed to give him all the attention. He throws a fit in your community, that doesn't mean you become obsessed with it. What do you do? You use your authority. You do not back down from your faith, and you do not back down from a use of authority. Too many of us let go of God's word because Satan throws a fit. And he throws a fit to make you let go of the word of God. Mark 4 says Satan comes for the word, and his top two tactics is affliction and persecution. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Persecution is pressure brought by people. And Jesus says in that parable, it is to make you let go of the word so that you don't have any evidence the word was ever preached to you in the first place. So when the pressure shows up, you have to make a decision. Will you hold on to the word or will you drop it? Just like in all the different football games that are going to be played today. The quarterback's going to throw it. Somebody's going to catch it. But what if instead of catching it, he drops it? Does it really matter that it touched his hand? He needs to what? Hold on to it. Well, what if he catches it and somebody tackles him and he fumbles? Does it matter that he caught it? 
Can he go back to replay? He's like, oh, that was, could, go, could he go back to the replay? Say, oh man, that was a good catch. You know, you see my little Heisman move. Did you see that? No, it doesn't matter because you dropped it. God sends you the word all the time, but if you don't hold on to it, shows up, it doesn't matter that you caught it in the first place. You can't drop it just because Satan tries to tackle you. What if a football player went to his coach like, yeah, I fumbled because he tried to tackle me. What else do you think he's going to try to do? That's the name of the game. And if you catch a word of faith from God, Satan will try to tackle you. But you cannot drop the word. You have to hold on to the word that you hear no matter what. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so he puts the ball in Jesus' court. And he well, Jesus, because a lot of Christians do that. Well, God, if you can do anything, it would be really nice if you do something right now. Actually, it would be really nice if you did it five days ago, but it would be really nice if you do it right now. But notice what Jesus did. He pushes the ball right back into his core. If you can believe, all things are possible. Say, all things are possible to them that believe. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's what I want to do today. I want to help your unbelief. Because if, when we look at the different economic reports, and we know, and we'll get into this in a moment about what recession means, for you to have enough and increase during this time may seem impossible. But all things are possible to them that believes. Believe is the action word of faith. Believe is the action word of faith. And if that's the case, we better figure out how to get some faith, keep some faith, and use our faith if we want to see the impossible become possible in our lives. So not going there for the sake of review, Romans 12.3, Paul said that God has given to every single person the measure of faith. And by context, he is talking about believers. So he's not saying that all the world has a measure of faith. Everybody who's made Jesus the Lord of their life has a measure of faith. They've been given the same measure of faith. But the question is, what are you doing with the faith God has given you? Because some people are like, oh, what if I could have faith like Billy Graham or faith like Oral Roberts or faith like whoever your spiritual giant favorite hero is? And do you know what separates you from them? They use the faith God gave them. They developed their faith. Just like you have to develop muscles, you must develop your faith. Because if you do not continually develop your faith, you won't be able to use it. Think about this. Because some people developed their faith years ago, but you kind of stopped developing your faith. Imagine a person who was super fit, bodybuilder, whatever, did all the things to be fit, but then they stopped going to the gym. They stopped working out. They stopped doing what they did to get to that place. 
Do you think if 10 years go by, they're gonna still look like what they used to? No, why? They stopped developing. If you stop developing your faith, you will go into the same situation because spiritual growth is not linear. You can be mature one day and five years be a baby needing someone to change your diaper all over again. What did, Paul, what did the writer of Hebrews say in the book of Hebrews? He says, you should be teachers by now, eating steak, but now you need somebody to nurse you. And the situation is, there's a lot of Christians, they were mature, on fire, sold out, but the pressure came, or the miracle didn't happen quick enough for them, or this happened, or this happened, a lot of I don't knows happened. And what happened? They let go of the word, and they went back to babyhood. And instead of saying, well, I'm a baby again, let me get back into the word, they begin to receive a whole bunch of other philosophies and stuff. And when you look at their life, it doesn't even look like they were saved in the first place. You must hold on to the word from God. Well, how long do I need to hold till it shows up? Well, how long do I need to outlast the devil till he stops? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How long do you resist? Until he runs. And you know what you do after he runs? You chase him down and get recompense. Luke chapter 8, I'm a tad bit stirred up this morning. Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. So Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I must develop my faith, but I also must increase my faith. I must develop my faith, and I must increase my faith. One of the ways you increase your faith is continually hearing the word of God, but also the disciples pray, Jesus, increase our faith, and then he tells them a parable that will summarize is use what you got. If you use the faith that you have, your faith will increase. And if you keep yourself in a position to continually hear the word of God, your faith will increase. But if you stop using what you have and you stop listening to the word the way you should, what you have will dwindle and vanish. In Luke 8, 18, we'll read from the NIV this time. It says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. By context, he's talking about ears to hear. You see this in the Gospels as well as the book of Revelation. Jesus loved to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's why in our faith confession that we take ears to hear. And Jesus saying, if you don't have ears to hear, what you've received from God in the past will dwindle. You will lose what ears you, hear, you have in the first place. So that means you must continually keep your ears open to hear from God, even when it's a topic that you don't want to hear about. Y'all look just so holy at me, just look. Because just, you know there's some topics you don't want to hear about. First lady was messing with me the other day. said, man, you just go stomping on people's toes. They got open toe shoes on. You just stomp on their toes and look back where you should have pulled your feet in. <laughs> because the word will cut you. The word is sharp. The word will check you. And if the word is checking you, you're not supposed to get condemned. You're not supposed to feel guilty. What are you supposed to do? Make the change. Word slaps you, change. 
The word cuts you, change. The word steps on your toes, change. He didn't send the word to make you feel bad. He sent the word so that you can change and overcome whatever you are facing. So if we're facing a situation and we're struggling, that lets us know we need to get more word in that area. It lets us know we need to build our faith in that area. So it lets you know sometimes your faith is topical, where you can have faith big in one area, but little in the other area. That you say, well, I have faith for wisdom. I know exactly what to do, but faith to walk in divine health. He's like, ah, I need some more scriptures on that. Or you might have faith to be healthy, but when it comes to God having, you having more than enough, you struggle in that area. It's not a problem that you're struggling, just don't stay there. You need to get into the Word, whatever area that is, and shore that up. Build that up so that you can do the impossible on a regular basis, which means you have to get the Word more than just on Sunday. That means you need to read your Bible every day. Not every day, every day. It's like, oh, it was, it was a bad day. You might need to double up. You need to read the Word for yourself. You need to open the Bible for yourself. One of the reasons we provide my notes and put all of these messages online for free is so that you can hear them again. And again, and again, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith does not come because of what you heard in the past. Faith comes from continually hearing. So what you receive is not just dependent on what you hear, it's also dependent on how you hear. So you have to give attention to how you hear, how you listen to the Word. Do you just have the Word playing on in the background, or are you focused on it? All you watching online, are you focused on the message right now or is it just playing in the back of your house? Is it blessing your couch or is it talking to you? So today's message is called Redeemed from Recession. So let's define some terms. What is a recession? Oxford says it's a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced generally identified by a fall in GDP in two successive quarters. Here's what this article from Forbes says. Economics have varying opinions about how to define a recession. The National Bureau of Economic Research defines a recession as a significant decline that lasts for more than a few months and affects the broader economy, not just a particular sector. In other words, almost every industry will experience its impact. Recessions are also defined as the period between the peak of economic activity and the economy's lowest point. They're usually relatively brief. Since World War II ended, the average recession has lasted 10 months. This one organization doesn't usually call an economic decline an actual recession until six to 18 months after the recession's beginning. That means consumers could be experiencing its effects long before it becomes official. When the economy is in a recession, incomes stagnate or drop due to employers slashing hours or reducing their workforce. In a recession, the unemployment rate, the percentage of the total labor force that is unemployed but actively seeking work, tends to increase as companies cut back on staff to reduce their expenses. Whether an economic downturn has officially been declared a recession or not, 
The impacts of an impending recession can affect your life daily. That's what the article says. It says some common ways people are impacted include cost of living increases. When inflation contributes to a recession, you may find that household essentials like groceries, gasoline, and clothes are more expensive than they used to be. It goes on and says job loss or reduction in hours. In a recession, companies often reduce their staffing levels to save money. You may risk losing your job or experiencing a reduction in hours. It goes on and says difficulty finding employment. For a while now, workers have controlled the employment market. They could secure new roles with higher salaries and more perks as employers competed for a limited pool of workers. During a recession that's likely to change, with competition for the few opening roles tougher and the ability to find a new job taking significantly longer. So that is how they define a recession. And I want to tell you today that it may seem impossible to increase during a time of recession, but all things are possible to them that believed. You are redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. You are redeemed from the recession and its effects. So when you break down all these terms concerning the recession, Here's what the end result is, and let me know if you agree with this. The end result is the fear of not having enough. Anybody can see that? It's not having enough. Anyone can see it? And the effects of not having enough. When you whittle the recession all the way down to how it affects individuals, it's the fear of not having enough, it's not having enough, and the effects of not having enough. Can we all agree with that? So let me tell you what it means to be redeemed. The word redeem means to be set free from what distresses and harms. The word redeem means to be set free from what distresses and harms. And I don't know about you, but a recession sounds like something that distresses and harms. Anybody can agree with that? The word redeem also means to be free from captivity by paying a ransom. It means to help to overcome something detrimental. A recession sounds detrimental. It also means to be delivered. So today, I want to show you how to cooperate with your redemption. Because you know you can be redeemed from something and still act like you're in it? Here's a biblical example. The children of Israel were redeemed from Egypt, but they still acted like they were slaves in the wilderness. And what do they kept saying? Well, back in Egypt, when we were slaves, we had this food. Back in Egypt, we had this. We had this. Let's go back to Egypt. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. You prayed for hundreds of years to be set free. Now you want to go back to what you're redeemed from? They're still acting like they're in Egypt. It's one thing to get out of Egypt, but you also got to get Egypt out of you. There's a lot of people, and this is an area, and this comes so many areas, but since we're talking about economic things, I'll relate this. There are a lot of people who were raised with not having enough, and now that they have enough, they still practice the same things of not having enough, and although they have more than enough, their life always looks like they're broke. They got out of the poor situation, but they didn't get the poor situation out of them. Let's talk about relationships. Let me talk to you single people. You were in a bad relationship in the past. You got wisdom and got out of that relationship, but did you get that relationship out of you? Or are you gonna make the next person you date pay for the mistakes of somebody in the past? Are you bringing some luggage to that relationship that you want to be healthy and whole? 
Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And once again, you can find my notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. That's enough to pause right now because he is good. His mercy endures forever. Even if it's a recession, he is still good. His mercy still endures forever. So it says, give thanks for that. So, Father, we give you thanks because you are good. And your mercy, your covenant love, your compassion endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Has anyone been redeemed by Jesus? Then you need to talk like it. If you've been redeemed, it needs to affect what you say. The redeemed should talk like they're redeemed. You should talk about what you're redeemed from. So number one on how to cooperate with your redemption today, number one is your words matter. The redeemed have to talk like they are redeemed. The redeemed must talk like they've been redeemed. So here's something that you can say. I'm redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. So say it with me. Say, I am redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. One more time. Say, I am redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. Bonus time, you online, I want you to say it with me this time too. Say, I am redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. Go with me to Matthew chapter six. This is not just something you need to say on Sundays. This is what you need to say every day. When you hear a news report, you need to talk back. You guys already talked back to everything else. You might as well talk back to the news. Come on, you talking to lights when you stop at a red light. Come on, turn green. Come on, turn green. I can't believe you turn red. If you're going to talk to a light that can't hear you, you might as well use your words in the right way. Release your faith and say, I'm redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. Come on, we can talk to Alexa and all the different devices. We might as well talk to our circumstances. So that's what you do if an effect of the recession shows up in your life, in your house. You must, because first words matter, you must open your mouth and say, I am redeemed. You do the same thing if sickness or disease or any type of symptom hits your body. I'm redeemed. You know, so we say, I'm redeemed. Even when you're taking your medicine, I'm redeemed. Even when you're resting, I'm redeemed. Even when you're taking vitamins, I'm redeemed. I'm rescued. I'm fighting this thing, but I want this thing to know. I am redeemed, which means you're gonna have to get off me. Oh, what about COVID? I'm redeemed from that too. Well, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, it's easy for me to say as a person who's fought it off twice. Twice. I'm redeemed. Get off me. I'm redeemed. Get off me. Headache, get off me. And guess what? It got off me. 
So what does she do? I sheltered in place, did the normal and natural things, and kept fighting with my faith. Matthew chapter 6, we're redeemed, and the redeemed must say so. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. The King James says, take no thought. It doesn't mean don't think about it. It means don't worry about it or don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry or be anxious about what you will eat what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Guess what? In a recession, people are worried about what they're going to eat, right? They're worried about what they're going to drink. They're worried about what clothes they can get. By implication, they're going to worry about where they're going to live, right? And Jesus said, don't you worry about that. Don't you be anxious about that. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor weep. They don't gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than some birds? If the birds can't eat, don't you think you should eat? Don't you think your God thinks you are more valuable than some birds? Think about it this way. There are people who love to feed birds. They go to the park every day with food for the birds. They set up bird feeders around their property to feed the birds. If God's got people feeding birds, don't you think he has somebody who will bring exactly what you need when you need it? So don't worry in the midst of a recession because God's got you because he thinks you're better than some birds. He goes and says, which of you by worrying can make yourself grow taller? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What did you say? It only takes a little faith to get a new wardrobe. Why are you worrying about what clothes you're going to wear? God clothes the hills with flowers, which today is and tomorrow is not. If he will make the hill look pretty, don't you think he'll give you the outfit that you need? So don't worry about your outfit. God's got you. Well, pastor, you know, my, I, I don't wear the same clothes. Don't you think God can give you some new ones? Oh, my clothes are out of date. Don't you think he can give you some new ones? How often do flowers grow? All the time. So how often can God clothe you? All the time. Don't worry about it. Say, don't worry about it. Come on, put it online in the chat. Say it out loud. Say, don't worry about it. Therefore, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. What are Gentiles? By context, the church hasn't technically started yet. So in the earth right now, there are the Gentiles, which are the nations and the Jews. What separated the Gentiles from the Jewish people? A covenant. All the people who do not have a covenant, Jesus is saying, worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, and by implication, where they're going to live. That is people who do not have a covenant. That is what they worry about. But guess what? You got a covenant. 
Jesus is saying these things to people under an old covenant. You got a new covenant based on better promises. So if he told people under an old covenant, don't stress about it, what is he telling you on a new covenant with better promises? Don't you worry about it. You have a covenant. I'm not going to sing it, but don't you worry about a thing. You got a covenant. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these what? Notice he's not talking about spiritual stuff. By context, for you to say it's spiritual stuff, you are taking the verse out of context. What is he talking about? Material things. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these material things. It's not like, oh, it would be nice if I had it. He knows you need it. Anybody need some food? Glory to Jesus. Anybody get a little bit hangry when you've missed a meal? Most of you in here. So we know that you need some food. We know that you need to be hydrated. We know that you need clothes. We know that you need somewhere to live. And guess who also knows? Your God. Your heavenly Father. But notice what Jesus tells in verse 33. But seek first. Say first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what? Shall be added to you. He didn't say he'll give it to you once. It shall be added to you. He'll keep on adding to you if you seek him first. So Jesus concludes this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about his own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because you have a covenant. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of it. And so what is your instruction from Jesus here? Put God first. So before we even get that, let me give you point two for today. Do not panic. Do not panic. Because what happens if you stay in worry and anxiety, eventually you will panic. And how many know that when we panic, we make poor decisions that have disastrous results? The majority of the time, 99.9999999% of the time, when we panic, we're not making the best decision. And then guess what happens? After we made that decision, we got to pay for that decision. So don't panic. A situation shows up as a result of the recession, don't panic. What do you do? You refuse to worry and or be anxious. You do what Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So when that situation happens, when you feel that worry, when you feel that anxiety building, when you feel tempted to panic, tempted, notice the language used, tempted to panic, stop yourself and say, God, I need your help in this moment. I'm not saying you ignore what's building in you. You recognize it and ask God for help. And then you make your request with thanksgiving. That means with praise. Why? You're praising God because you know he heard you and that he's going to give you what you requested. So how, well, Pastor, how do I know if God hears me? You have to pray based on the word of God. So whatever is coming up in that moment, you say, God, I need your help. For you said in your word this, that, and the other, and this is what I'm asking for, and this is what I receive, and this is what I thank you for. And if you do that, the scripture says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, 
Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if, there be, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So that means I don't need to meditate on what's causing me anxiety. I don't need to meditate on what's stressing me out. I don't need to meditate on all the stuff on the news. I can be informed, but I can choose not to think about it all day. Because what does it mean to meditate? You're playing it again in your head again and 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 again. It's all you think about, and then eventually it's all you talk about. That is meditating on it. But what should you think about what verse 8 just told you? What should you talk about what verse 8 just told you? So number two, do not panic. It tells us that at the end of all things, that men's heart would fail them for fear. So when you get closer to the actual end, people are going to have heart problems and heart failure, and the root cause is fear because of what they see coming upon the earth. So you must make a decision whether Jesus comes back in the next seven years or the next 105 years. Every day, we're getting closer to the end. And what you need to make a decision to do is not panic and not get into fear. You must make the decision to stay in faith and fight the good fight of faith. It's on you to make that decision. Number three, keep God first. Number three, keep God first. Don't allow the pressure or the circumstances of the world to cause you to put something ahead of God. Remember, Matthew 6 says, seek ye what? First. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Say, keep God first. Say it with me. Say, keep God first. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Man, that is good news. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, or the God of angel armies, or the one who's enabled to make everything work together for his good and come together as an army. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and in offerings. So what is tithe? Tithe is 10% of what you bring in. Right? So if you have nothing coming in, you have no tithe, right? Right? It's not your question. If there's no income, there's no tithe, right? The tithe is 10% of what your income is. Now, I tithe off of my gross because I always want to put God ahead of Uncle Sam. Because we know Uncle Sam's going to get what it says. He's going he's to find it. There's no hiding from him. He's going to find you. And so I make a personal decision. I'm going to tithe off my gross. You know what also that means? When you receive your refund check, you don't have to tithe off of that. Why? You've already tithed off of that. So tithe is based off of your income. What is offering? Anything above the tithe. Now, one of the things you see about the tithe is the tithe is before the law, it's during the law, and it's after the law. 
Because the prophet says here, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. What is that? The curse of the law, right? But what does Galatians 3 tell us? We are redeemed from the curse of the law. It says Jesus became a curse and hung on the tree so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon us. So this curse has nothing to do with you. Say, it does not have anything to do with me because I am redeemed. So that lets us know that we don't tithe as people who are under the law because we're not under the law. Because even Jesus said in the Gospels, he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, you guys tithe on the smallest herb. You tithe off of the mint leaves. And he says, you ought to do these things. But don't forget the weightier things of faith and justice. So even Jesus said you ought to tithe. But what do we tithe like? Well, who's our example of tithing? You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you could see the tithe, that the tree that we're supposed to eat or consume, but still take care of as a representative of the tithe. You can go to Abel and Cain when they brought their first fruits before God. That's the tithe. You can look at many different times, but who is our example of tithing before the law? Abraham, the father of faith. How did he tithe? Was he under this commandment, you better tithe? No. God gave him a supernatural victory. And as a result of this victory, he had this huge spoils of war. So what's the first thing he did? He went to Melchizedek, king of Salem, that's king of Jerusalem, king of peace, and he presented his tithe off of everything he just received not under compulsion, but out of faith and out of gratitude and based off of his relationship with God. He tithed because of his relationship, because of his gratitude, and because of what the victory God has given him. Has God given anybody victory in here? Is anybody grateful to God in here? Does anybody have a relationship with God in here? We tithe out of that, not a fear of a curse, especially not a fear of a curse we're redeemed from. The book of Hebrews said Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so when we present our tithes, as it even says in Hebrews 8, we're presented to the one who lives forever, which is Jesus. So we still tithe. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament, so way after the law. And so we tithe not because we're afraid of a curse or afraid of a recession, we tithe because we have a relationship with God. We tithe because we know we have the victory. And we tithe because we're grateful. Whether your tithe is a dollar or a million dollars, we're grateful for whatever we can tithe from. You know, you're just grateful, man, I can tithe. I, that means something came into my hands. You know, I remember just a couple weeks ago, my six-year-old came to me and says, Daddy, I can't wait to go to church. At first, I thought that, you know, it was about, you know, she enjoys the teachers and enjoys church and all the different things, or maybe it was a special Sunday and they're going to have candy or whatever. And do you know what the reason she told me why she wanted to go to church? She says, I want to give Jesus my dollar. And so she was excited all week. I can't wait to Sunday because I want to give Jesus my dollar. And then she just told me recently where that dollar came from. She said she was playing with her grandfather and says, yeah, we were doing the quiet game. And if I won, I would get a dollar. <laughs> and she said everybody was trying to make her laugh, but she stayed quiet, so she won her dollar. 
She had her victory. And you know what she said I want to do? I want to give it to Jesus. I'm looking at her and said, whoa. She says, I can't wait to go to church so I can give Jesus my dog. What if we had the same faith? You keep God first in your day by starting your day with prayer and time of the word. You keep God first in your weekly schedule by coming to church on Sunday. I got quiet on that one. You keep God first in your weekly schedule by coming to church on Sunday. Let's try it again because some people are like, I'm just going to look away. You keep God first in your weekly schedule by coming to church on Sunday. Now, let me talk to another group of individuals. So, Pastor, I work on Sunday. I'm not referring this to you. I'm talking about your brothers and sisters who don't. I'm not talking about you who might be on vacation that Sunday and out of town. And if you are, you can always tune in online. I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. You ain't showing up not because you have to go to work or you're out of town. It's just you just don't show up. There are some people right now who are at the job working hard, and they're listening to this experience because they're still believing God to open the door where they don't have to work on Sundays. Yet some of y'all, you don't have any real reason, do you? Well, I was tired. We all tired. We got coffee right there in the lobby for you. Well, I had a long week. We all had a long week. Well, I'm this, I'm that. You can have a lot of excuses. But is your excuse worth putting that excuse first before God? I'm not saying you don't ever miss a Sunday. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to extreme on that. But your regular basis, your regular habit, how often are you starting your week with God? Because if your kids see you only going to church every once in a while, to them, they know it's not a priority, and when they grow up, they ain't going at all. What example are you setting for your young ones? Well, I'm saved. I don't need to go to church. That, you know, that's not what the Bible said. It says, as we see the day of return coming, we should gather together even more. You keep God first in your weekly schedule by coming to church. You have to start your week with God. Do you know what that is? It's a matter of honor. So God, I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to come to church. And it's not like we have 7 a.m. service. I also remember those days of those early, early services. Anybody ever served like me in those early, early services? You leave home, it's still dark. <laughs> you wonder, Jesus, are you awake yet? It's really early right now. Yet we got there out of honor. To serve so that people who could sleep in could show up late. <clears throat> I didn't, did I say that? That's <laughs> <laughs> we need to keep God first. 
we need to start our day in the word and in prayer. And so one of the first things you need to do after you open your eyes and you kind of get yourself together, you know, put your coffee on, whatever you got to do, get in that word. Spend some time in prayer. You know, you have to plan to do that, which means you can't just watch Netflix all night. Hey, cool, Ben's your favorite show, but you need to go to bed if you're actually going to wake up and pray. Because how many times you stayed up way too late, and then you woke up, you slept through your alarm. See, some of you, I don't know if you're like me, I have not just one alarm, because I don't trust myself with one alarm. I got a whole bunch of alarms. Though five alarms will wake me up. The alarm later, you better be moving by now. The other alarm, you need to go. I even set it up where my watch goes off to make sure I'm moving. But how many of you have ever slept through your alarms before? Because you're so exhausted. Because you stayed up all night binging a TV show. And now you run out the door, not even grabbing a healthy meal, giving a half leftover donut. That's why you probably have some health issues, but that's another message. I'll leave that alone today. <laughs> and you haven't spent time in the word or prayer. Not because your heart wasn't right, but you didn't plan to honor God with the start of your day. So that means if we're going to honor God, it takes some planning. Our daily schedule and our weekly schedule. That we, you know, you make time for what you value. You make time for what you value. How much do you value honoring the word of God and gathering together with your brothers and sisters? Well, I don't like people, you is a people. People got issues. You got issues. People are trifling. You really want us to look at your life today. We all have issues. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. We serve him. The rest of us need some work. And when we gather together, not only are we allowing the word and the spirit to work on us, we're bringing our own supply. And when our supply comes together, more people are blessed. Have you ever thought about, even if there's a day you're not serving and volunteering that Sunday because you serve and volunteer on another Sunday, that you just coming and worshiping God, there's somebody else who is newer, they saw you lift your hands, they saw you worship, and they're encouraged to do the same? That they may never tell you, but they're encouraged to serve Jesus because they saw you? Do you know there are people who are encouraged just because you said hi to them and you smiled, you didn't even have a word for them, you just encouraged them by your presence, by your supply. So sometimes showing up is not just about you, it's about somebody else too. Uh, where were we? Yeah, Malachi 3. There we go. So you keep God first in your day by starting your day with prayer and time in the Word. You keep God first in your weekly schedule by coming to church on Sunday. You keep God first in your finances by tithing. And all things we keep Him first. And look at some of the benefits in Malachi 3. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there should not be room enough to receive it. Now, I already addressed this with people who are not able to come to church on Sunday because of their work schedule. Well, let's just take it to another level. What if you're not really able to tithe because you don't have money? So quiet on that one. What if you got more bills than bread? What if you're not able to afford the 10%? What do you do? You start where you are able. It may not be 10%, it may be 1%. But 
but you treat that 1% as holy. You present that before God, and you say, hey, Father, I'm building my faith to get these debts paid off and make some wise decisions so I can fully tithe. And you set your faith, and you keep increasing. There's no condemnation for you, but you put something first, and you build yourself up to where you can do exactly what God wants you to do. Because in that process, you don't have to be worried about a curse because you're redeemed. But you actively, out of honor, out of reverence, are building to that place. And guess what? Something's going to show up to make you try to consider not tithing. I've shared the story before. I remember years ago, I was in this major car accident. My car broke into three pieces. Spun around, hit the overpass. I didn't go over the overpass. I jumped out of my car, which is a miracle and testimony in of itself. And I said, my car, my car. And the people who were standing around me was like, sir, you're in shock. But look at my car. I said, sir, come sit down over here. Because I'm just standing in the middle of the road, mind you, looking at my car. And so the ambulance comes to take me away, and the only injuries I had was the airbag deployed, and my hand was slightly burnt because of that, and um, my thumb was kind of jammed. And so the ministers of the church came by to visit me, and they prayed, and guess what? The burn disappeared. And then later, Bishop called me, hey, how you doing? I said, my car. I said, boy, we can get you another car. How are you doing? I said, well, my thumb's kind of jammed. So, well, let me pray. And the thumb unjammed. So at the end of the day, I'm completely whole. I just need a car. So in this process of going to get a new car, there's some other drama that popped up, but I'm not going to say it for the sake of time. You know, the enemy sent a thought, well, you know, you can get a new car right now if you stop tithing. I was like, shut up. I'm not going to listen to that thought. And you know what? It wasn't before long before I had a brand new car. And the situation that was delaying it was taken care of. When it looked like it wouldn't. And so I was talking to someone that said, well, it doesn't look like it's going to work out well. I said, here's what's going to happen. The cost will completely be covered, and I'm going to walk out with more money than I walked in. And guess what happened? It was completely covered, and I walked out with more money than I walked in. So when you set your faith to build... In any area, the enemy will always try a thought to make you change your mind. But you have to make a decision to hold on to the Word of God. You might say, well, what about medical bills? Let me talk to you about some medical bills. Can I talk to you about some medical bills? I remember a number of years ago, we got caught in a time where, you know, insurance premiums were increasing. And because of the plan I had, we were planning to, it was with one of our kids, they said, well, you're going to owe about $10,000. I don't have, I didn't have an extra $10,000 for that doctor bill. If I, I had plans for what I would have do, not an extra $10,000. So how many of that stress right there? The baby's doing less than a couple months. That's some stress. That's some pressure. So my wife and I were talking about it. So, well, let's see if we can just pay it off. Let's just break it down in chunks and believe God to pay it off for the rest of the year. So we called back to see if we can make an arrangement. And do you know what they told us? It's been paid for. Not because we asked them to. They took it on themselves and contacted something somewhere we don't know who and paid it off. If God will do it for me, I need you to know he'll do it for you. You know, one of the, when I was preaching, and we're believing together a couple years, uh, a number of years ago now, we were preaching on supernatural debt cancellation. 
So you know the number one debt cancellation we kept singing, seeing? Medical bills. After that, student loans. Stuff was just disappearing. I remember one Wednesday night, a lady came up to me and said, Pastor, I, I, I don't know where it went. She, had a bill, it, it, she got a letter that says, all your debt is paid off. She said, I don't know what happened. I said, just keep your letter. You don't need to know what happened. You just move forward. We had that year a half a million dollars worth of testimonies of supernatural debt cancellation. Not including people who got raises and were able to pay things off. Not including people who had wisdom and made financial decisions to pay things off. Just suddenlies. If God did it then, he can do it again. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean out into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You putting God first in all things is part of acknowledging him. You put him in first by starting your day in word and prayer. You put him in first by coming to church on Sunday. You put him in first at tithing as part of acknowledging him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be what? Filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Now some of you may have a barn, but I don't got a barn. But I do have bank accounts and investments. That even in a time where the economy goes down, you can go up. Oh, pastor, what you're saying is kind of hard to think about. Yep. It's kind of hard to believe. Yep. That's why I'm preaching it. Why? Because as I'm saying this, faith is coming to your heart. And if you release your faith, all things are possible to them that believe. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. I'm going to read this one for the New Living Translation. Let's put our eyes on and go to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. Is this helping anybody today? Amen. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, the New Living Translation says it this way. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, or the fool, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. One more time, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton or the fool goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So number four, make sound decisions that are led by the wisdom of the Spirit of God. Number four, make sound decisions that are led by the wisdom of the Spirit of God. As you go over your budget, which means you should have a budget, your budget exists not for you to see where your money went. Your budget should exist so you can tell your money where to go. And as you go over your budget, ask the Holy Ghost, is there some adjustments I need to make here, sir? Is there more that I should save? Is there somewhere I should invest? Is there something I should cancel? Is there a few subscriptions I need to cancel? Is there something I plan I need not to spend on? What should I do concerning this? Ask him. You're acknowledging him, and guess what? He will direct your path. So invite him to your budget conversation. 
and follow the wisdom of God. Make sound decisions. Because what happens, if you panic, you will not make a sound decision. Do you know what happens when people are always panicking? They fall prey to get-rich-quick schemes. Or they spend their extra money getting drunk. This is not your time for Wind Down Wednesday. Or they spend their extra, time, their extra money getting some weed and getting high. So I just need a vacation, and Mary Jane's the only one who get me there. No. It's not the time for you to get high either. What is the time? It's the time for you to be sober-minded. Ephesians tells us, be not drunk with wine where it's excess, but be filled. Let's go there. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there. I want you to put your eyes on it. So you don't think, oh, pastor, just don't want us to have some fun. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll show you what Pastor is saying. Ephesians chapter 5. And remember, he's writing to the church. He's not writing to sinners. He's writing to the church. Church people. Sanctified people. People who love Jesus. Any of those people in here? Start with verse 15. Let's read it from the New Living Translation first. So be careful how you live. Do not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're always drunk, you're not going to know the will of God. And think about how much money you're spending. Because some of you won't spend money on other stuff, but when it comes to your alcohol, <laughs> you spend. Friday night, let me throw it up in the air. I gotta spend all this money. Now you're leaving the club with debt. You should have been in the club in the first place, but now you got a bill on your credit card that now you need help paying. Make sound decisions that are led by the wisdom of the Spirit of God. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. As you go over your budget, consult the Spirit of God. Ask Him what you need to say, spend, cut, give, invest, and etc. Make sound decisions. And so, here's what faith is not. Faith is not walking forward. It says, oh, there's no such thing as a recession, so I'm just going to keep spending like I know I'm going to do. That is not faith. It's not. Faith acknowledges what's going on acknowledges that you're redeemed from it, but also acknowledges the direction of the Spirit of God. Because if you ignore his leadings and his guidance, you are not in faith, you are in foolishness. There's faith, there's foolishness, and there's presumption. There's a whole lot of Christians that are in foolishness. And call it faith. Oh, foolishness is too hard to work. Okay, make-believe. Make-believe is great for Disney. But how's it working for you? You need to make sure that you're in faith, not make-believe. You need to make sure you're standing on a word from God, not a word that you just saw on social media. Daniel chapter 6. Some are already stepping on toes. Might as well go further. Daniel chapter 6. Starting with verse 1. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit, say excellent, excellent. spirit was in him. The king gave thought to set him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, so according to his work, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Say faithful. faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What? He was excellent. Number five, excellence needs to define your work and your work ethic. Number five, excellence needs to define your work and your work ethic. That when they hear, hear that you're a faith person, they know, oh, they work hard. They work smart. They give their best. Not to go to work and just be on Facebook all day. Well, I don't like my boss. Well, he may not like you, but you like your paycheck. Oh, it's not enough. It's better than nothing. Well, the government should give me more. The government's broke. Are you a person of excellence when it comes to your job? Are you always late? Are you always the first person to leave? It hasn't even hit 5 o'clock yet. It's 4.59, 30 seconds. You out the door. <laughs> Do you give your best? Well, I'm not giving everything because my supervisor, I don't like what they said, I don't like how they treated me, I don't like how they talked to me. Well, does that really affect your work ethic? Are you allowing your productivity, your work, and your work ethic to be set by another human? Well, I shouldn't have to do it because this political party or this, that, blah, you have a whole bunch of reasons. Are you a person of excellence? If they did the same investigation they did to Daniel, what would they say about your work? Some of you get mad and offended when it gets time for you to get your yearly review. But did you do those things on that paper? Well, it's not fair because I'm this shade and this complexion. Well, did you do it? Not talking about your shade, whether you light, dark, in between, yellow, polka dotted, purple, green, whatever. Did you do what's on that paper? Well, yes, well. Are you a person of excellence? Here's one of the things that was instilled deeply into me as a teenager when I would do different jobs, working in different places. Do so well that it makes it easier for the person who comes behind you. Never allow them to use you as an excuse why they wouldn't hire somebody like you. So I do my best, not just for me, but for the generation behind me. Is your work open the door to anybody else? Or are you just focus on you, your four, and no more? Are you making it easier for those who come behind you, or are you setting stumbling blocks? Are you a person of excellence? Oh, I'm just quiet quitting. Well, that's fine if you're doing everything that's on your job description, giving your best. But if you're just finding ways to get out of your work, and put it on somebody else. Do you know if they have to cut, do you know who they're going to first? You. 
You know, if you're the one causing drama at the job, you know they're going to you first. Say, well, I don't like my supervisor. And so you want to go talk to the other coworker about it. One, the Bible tells you not to gossip. But you're going to sit, you know, if that word gets back to your supervisor, guess who they're going to look at a lot more closer? You. Well, I'm just, you know, I just needed to vent. You need to be careful who you vent to. You vent to people who can keep their mouth shut. Your prayer partner, someone who believes God with you, that's who you talk to about stuff. You get older and counterpoint, that's who you talk to about stuff. Not just sitting at the job saying, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe my boss said that. I can't. Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So let's say that never catches up with you and you get promoted and you're a supervisor. Guess what people are going to do to you? Yap, 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 yap. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. Why? That's what you did. Does excellence define your work and your work ethic? Colossians 3.17, New Living Translation says this way, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. So when you go to work, whether you like your supervisor or your boss or not, can you say that you're doing your job like you were reporting to Jesus? Can you? That's something to think about. Well, my boss does this. They might. But there's a way to use your authority in prayer and get that boss removed. But they won't be removed if your work ethic is trifling. You need to be a person of excellence so that when you release your faith in prayer, that if that person is harassing you at your job, and holding you back from promotions, that in prayer you can call somebody removed. Well, how do you know? I've done it. That's one of the things my mom taught me and my brothers, because she worked in corporate America. And I remember one day she came home, and I'm not sure what happened at the office, we didn't ask. She said, you guys need to know how to remove wicked bosses through prayer. So she taught us. And guess what? We did. But that's not gonna work well for you if instead of being defined as a faithful person, they define you as lazy. Because Danny was faithful, not lazy. Are you lazy? At least one person said no. At least one person said no. Everyone else was like, well. Come on, you get onto your kids about being lazy. When's the last time got onto you about being lazy? Are you practicing what you tell your kids? Praise the Lord. Number six, number six. Let's begin to bring this to a close. Ta teaching you how to cooperate with your redemption. Number six, you must continually build and release your faith in this area. You must continually build and release your faith in this area, which means you need to hear this message and messages like these again and again and again so that you can build your faith and that you can act on what you hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and faith takes corresponding action. Well, what is my corresponding action? As you're listening to this message, the Holy Ghost is talking to you about things. Whatever he's telling you to do, that's what you need to do. That's how you're going to release your faith in this area. So I want to read some passages to you to build your faith. You ready? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. 
he tells them that when you have eaten our full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water from you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. So you begin to prosper. Don't say, oh, I've worked so hard. You know, pastor said, don't be lazy. And I, I did work hard. I was of excellent spirit. Look at what I've done. Don't you take credit for it. Remember, it is God who gives you power to get wealth so that he can fulfill what he promised. Say, God gives me power to get wealth. One more time, let's put in the chat online. Say, God gives me power to get wealth. Go with me, Psalm 23, verse 1. Bring it to a close. Psalm 23, verse 1. Familiar scripture to most of us. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want means lack. Because God is your shepherd, you shall not lack. He's leading you to places of not lacking. That means you need to follow his direction, follow his instruction, follow his guidance. Do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Why? He's not taking you to a place where there's not enough. He's taking you to a place where there's more than enough. He's leading you out of a tight spot to your wealthy place, as it says in the Old Testament. But you ought to follow him. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Jesus said, you know the voice of a shepherd, and the voice of a stranger you will not follow. Jesus said, he's your good shepherd. So say it again. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. No matter if there's a recession or not. Genesis 22, verse 14, Amplified Classic Edition. says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. One of God's names is Jehovah Jireh. You can translate the name as the God who sees and provides. For God to stop providing, he would have to change his name, and he's not going to change his name. He's the God who sees, and he's the God who provides. Say, God is Jehovah Jireh. He has provision for me. Say, my God is Jehovah Jireh. He shall provide for me. Go with me to Psalm 91, verse 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That name Almighty is El Shaddai. 
It is the God who is more than enough, the all-sufficient one, the one who has a supply, the one who does you all good all the time, the God who is more than enough. That's who he is. And if you abide under his shadow, guess who also has more than enough? You. Say, my God is El Shaddai. I have more than enough. Say, my God is El Shaddai. I have more than enough. Go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Let's put your eyes on it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow or painful toil with it. Well, that means rich spiritually. That's not what that scripture says. That means having a full supply or having abundance. The blessing of the Lord will cause you to come to a place where you have abundance. What is that? More than enough. The scripture says he will bless the work of your hands. Remember, we already read he gives you power to get wealth. This power is not short-circuited because of an economy. Even if the nation goes into a severe recession, you are still the blessed. Say, I am blessed. Say, I am blessed. Now, you ready for me to stretch you for a little bit? You ready for me to stretch you? I said, are you ready for me to stretch you? Say, God is making me rich. Let me do it again. Say, God is making me rich. One more time. Say, God is making me rich. See, I grew up in a time where we had a man of God would come to this church, and then he would say it in his Louisiana action, accent, money cometh to me now. And guess what? Money came. Money showed up. So some of you need to start talking to some money so it shows up. Come on with me. Here we go. You ready to pull that lever? You ready to pull that lever? Hey, you ready to pull that lever? Come on, put your hand out. Say, money coming to me now. You might say, Pastor, you being extra. I'm being extra because you need to have more than enough because of the season this nation's going into. If I got to be extra so that you have more than enough, then call me extra. I will be extra because our God is good. I will be extra because his mercy endures forever. I'll be extra because he supplies all of our needs. I'll be extra because he's my shepherd. And I believe that he has a plan for the people of God in these days. You mean you believe in prosperity? I don't believe in being broke. Third John 2. Go there with me. Third John 2. For those of you who have a problem with prosperity. Third John 2. Well, some people have said this with bad motives. Yeah, people have said a lot of things with bad motives, not just in being a preacher, in a lot of things. But the question is, have you thrown out the baby with the bathwater? Third John, verse 2, but love, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. 
if there's an area in your life, God wants it to prosper. God wants it to be healthy. Notice it's connected to the prosperity and the health of your soul. That's why I told you, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't be anxious because the panicking, the anxiety, the worry will destroy your soul and it will affect your health and it will affect the prosperity in every area of your life. God wants you to prosper in your mind. He wants you to prosper in your emotions. He wants you to prosper in your family. He wants you to prosper in your relationships. He wants you to prosper in your body. He wants you to prosper in your finances. He wants you to prosper in the community. If there's an area of your life, the will of God is for you to prosper. Do you remember the first words humankind ever heard? It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply. So the first words was not be fruitful. The first words were be blessed. The first words mankind ever heard was the blessing. And God is the most intentional being there is. What he spoke is his will for all time, and his will is that you be blessed. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? The word blessed means empowered to prosper. Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Say, I'm blessed. Say, I'm blessed. Say, I'm blessed. Let's take it to another level. Say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. It's not what God told Abraham, I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. He said all nations will bless, one translation says all nations will bless themselves through you. Or through you all nations shall be blessed. And because of the faithfulness of Abraham, we've had access to the blessing. That's why Galatians 3 calls it the blessing of Abraham. We're redeemed from the curse of the law and we've been given access to the blessing of Abraham. And so there are times when I still remember years ago when I had a dog. My dog was, there. he had this disease, don't know what it was, but the vets told us later, we didn't have the heart to tell you, we didn't think he would survive. And so we'd given the medicine work to, gave it to him and it seemed like it wasn't working fast enough. And I just remember carrying this puppy back and forth. I said, well, God, if Abraham had a dog, his dog wouldn't be sick. That's what I said. And then we saw something else to do, received wisdom, and guess what, that dog recovered like that. And the vet was like, wow, it's so amazing doing so well. We didn't have the heart to tell you. We didn't think he was going to survive. So I look at it and say, well, would this show up in Abraham's life? If not, why would I take it? Amen. Then I take it a little bit further. It says after Genesis 24 and 25, when we read the story of Abraham dying and Isaac being next, it says that Abraham died and God blessed Isaac. Did Isaac do anything to be blessed? No. He was just born that way. And then he, God told him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this because your father did what I told him to do. So Isaac gets the benefits because of somebody else's obedience. Think about all the benefits you get because Jesus said yes. 
Because some of you are trying to talk yourself out what I'm preaching at this level because I've done too many bad things. I've done too many stupid things. I've sinned too bad. We're not basing it on your record. We're basing it on the faithfulness of Jesus. And if there's some things you need to fix today, you need to fix it today and go forward because God's plan for your future is a blessed plan. Luke 6, verse 38, New Living Translation, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give back, the amount that you give will determine what you get back. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, not because someone's making you give. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have an all-sufficiency, and all things may have an abundance for every good work. The Amplified Classic Distance says it this way, and God is able to make all grace Every favorite earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnish in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That is where God's grace has taken you. When you have all grace, abundance of grace working, that's where it's moving you to. Let's go to Philippians 4 and let's close it here for the sake of time. Say, I'm redeemed from the recession and all of its effects. Say, God's grace is abounding towards me, so I have all sufficiency in all things, and I abound to every good work. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 11. Most of you already shouted by verse 19, but let's work our way there. Notice what Paul's saying, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is telling the different times he's been through, when he had more than enough and when he did not have enough. But he says, I could get through all of that with a good attitude because the anointing gives me strength. But he doesn't stop there. He said, I learned to be content. You know, you can be content and still use your faith to receive more. Being content doesn't mean you don't want anything more. It just knows you know how to keep your soul where it is. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I depart from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They gave to help Paul out. And Paul is saying, when you gave, fruit is abounding to your account, and your gift caused a sweet smell to rise up before God. And what was God's response? And my God shall supply all, 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 all your need according to his riches and glory, his abundance and glory by Christ Jesus. Who's the riches and glory? The Holy Ghost. 
the Holy Ghost's wisdom, the Holy Ghost's ability, everything the Holy Ghost has in his reservoir. He says the Holy Ghost will supply all your needs. But notice the language Paul put on it, my God, my God. Like he's implying the way God meets my needs, he's going to meet your needs. Paul was in a situation, and they gave to be a blessing to him. And it's the same way God meets my needs, he's going to meet your needs. My God shall supply. It's a promise made to givers. And notice, he doesn't say some of your need, part of your need, all your need, according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the answer is you need more finances. Sometimes the answer is you just need wisdom. Whatever the need is, the Holy Ghost is able to meet that need. Bishop said it this way years ago, a seed will meet any need. So you sow. My family and I, we sow personally, and we also sow from this church. Why? We believe the principle, not just individuals or families, but also in the church. So yes, we're blessing all the time to organizations that help the community. We're blessing to mission organizations, and we're blessing to other ministries. Why? We believe in the principle of seed, time, and harvest, and we believe that the word is true. Do you believe the word is true? Has faith come to your heart this morning? Now, the Holy Ghost will tell you what to give. I'm not going to pressure you to give nothing. So I ain't giving, then don't. Oh, the pastor said that. Yes. I don't want to give, then don't. We don't put pressure on people to give. We don't do that. That's between you and the Holy Ghost. What is he talking to you about right now? What is he telling you to do right now? Whether you're online or in this room, what is he telling you to do right now? Follow his leading. Follow his guiding. Amen. I believe today's message can encourage you, it's strengthening you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on our many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.